This morning, I want to share with you a powerful passage of Scripture that's found in the book of Ephesians chapter 5. We are continuing our study there, and I have danced around this topic now for several weeks going before it and after it, but it's time today to hit it head on. And that is a passage that deals with strong warnings about Paul and one of the things that not only afflicted Ephesus and the Roman Empire, but in the decline of America's empire, it is now prevalent and is the leading god and goddess of our of our of our republic. Though our currency says in God we trust, that should today be a small god, small g, because our culture no longer represents or respects or honors this god. Our generation delights in honoring gods and the gods of the flesh. This week, we've seen a marvelous, a marvelous picture. In recent days, a marvelous picture of love. Paul's going to talk about illicit love and lusty love and sexual love that is not of God. But this week, we saw, in fact, the newspapers are still talking about it. Media is still talking about it, about a young police officer, Amber Geiger, who shot and killed a man named Botham Jean. You know the story. In Dallas, she said that she got off on the wrong floor, entered the wrong apartment, saw a man in her apartment, shot and killed him. Well, immediately, there's all kinds of overtones of police brutality or racial tensions and all those things that cloud any crime. But the truth is, a woman shot a man and killed him in his own apartment while he's reclining on his own sofa. That's horrible. And for the last several months, they've done all kinds of investigations. But if you saw the remarks of the family when it came time for them to talk to the person that had taken a son and a brother from them, it was the brother of Botham Jean, Brant, who stunned everybody. He's a young man who admired his brother, had gone to a Harding College in Arkansas because he's a Christian. He left his home in St. Lucia, and Lucia and wanted to go to a Christian college, and he did. He excelled. He, he was saved at age eight, but his daddy made him wait till 10 to be sure he was sure. You know how that goes. But Botham Jean was a strong believer. And when his younger brother testified the trial, what should happen to this white officer who shot and killed my brother? Boy, we've heard those before, and this, the venom flows. I hope you rot. You, you know. Boy, did he turn the court on its ear. Because when he looked at her, he said, I wish you no harm. It's true you killed my brother, but I don't wish you that to rot in jail. In fact, he said, I've never said this and didn't plan to say it in front of my family. But if I had my way, I wish you didn't even have to go to jail. I wish the best for you. And what I would say to you is you need to trust Christ and allow him to forgive you. Well... What do you do with somebody like that? And then he turned to the judge, an African-American judge, Kemp, Tammy Kemp. He turned to the judge, and if you saw the video, she paused because she wasn't real sure. What do you do with a man who asks for good things to come on the murder of his brother? And he turned to the judge and said, Your Honor, may I please hug her? And it was silent. And then with a broken voice, that 18-year-old man said, please. And the judge said, yes. And he came down from the witness box and across the room, and he didn't make it to the chair of the accused. Like a prodigal daughter, she ran across the floor and latched hold of him like he was himself, the personification of Christian grace. And she hugged him before he could hug her. 
what the camera showed is it panned him leaving the witness chair to go hug the accused was the judge had taken off her glasses and wiping tears from her eyes, this tough judge. After it was over, you know that he had told the young accused, I want you to trust Christ. The judge had left her bench following trial and gone on to hug every member of the murder man's family. But she thought in light of what's happened with this accused, then it's only right that I go hug her. Well, that's when all you know what broke loose because the liberals can't stand the thoughts of a compassionate judge, can we? (laughs) When you stand before a judge, and you will, do you want mercy or law? When she took off from that bench and went down to talk to that young lady. She's talking to her like a mama to a daughter and sharing with her what you really do need is Jesus. And the young lady said, I don't have a Bible. She said, I'll go get mine. She went to her chambers, brought back out the Bible. She said, I have two or three at home, but this is the one I read every day. If that had been you, would you have a Bible you've been marking every day to give to somebody who said, I need Jesus? And she gave that Bible to the accused, to the condemned, to the convicted, and she hugged her. Well, you know what that's called? Grace, grace, God's grace. Anybody here in need? What happens when you abandon godly love and you choose fleshly lust? You don't have pictures like that. You have men killing themselves because they've been caught with lists of trafficked children. You have men who are embarrassed today because I understand this prostitution bus. They said there's thousands of people that are going to be brought before the law for using prostitutes here in Tulsa. When you leave the love of God to live on the lust of flesh, you live in darkness. But when you live in the love of God, you live in the light because he is the light. And all who come in the light of God are forever grateful. Ephesians chapter 5 says this. Be imitators of God. That would take care of it. The word is mimic. Mimic. We have mimes and mimics. He says in Ephesians 5.1, be Im- mimics, imitate God. Why? Because you're dearly loved children, like, like a child who says, I want to be like my daddy. Well, be like your heavenly father. Walk in love. As the Messiah also loved us. In other words, what's the standard? Walk in love, not as the church says or as the world says. Do it as Christ did it. That's what happened in that courtroom. Walk in love as the Messiah also loved us and gave himself for us a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. But here's that other side in which the world today is chosen, far from the plan of God. Sexual immorality and any impurity or greed, that word really should be lust. It's when you don't desire sexual gratification, you desire people to make your needs satisfied. 
the lust, when, when it doesn't matter what she looks like or he looks like or where they work or who they are, you have no intention of anything more than a momentary gratification. That's called greed or lust. The Bible says sexual immorality and any impurity or lust should not even be heard of, meaning it doesn't mean we don't talk about it. Paul's talking to me. He said it shouldn't be stated in the church that it ever happened with church people, with Christian people. It ought never be. Shouldn't be heard, rumored that it's happened among you as is proper for the saints. But look at this, even coarse and foolish talking or crude joking are not suitable. Give thanks. For no one recognizes this. Every sexual, immoral, and impure, greedy person, lusty person is an idolater. And those who are an idolaters do not have an inheritance of the kingdom of the sign of God. Let nobody deceive you. Boy, are we on the verge of throwing that one out the window. Let nobody deceive you with empty arguments, for God's wrath is coming. I don't think we believe that even in the church. God's wrath is coming on the disobedient because of these things. Therefore, do not become partners with them. Verse 8, for you were once darkness. Now, this doesn't say you walked in darkness. This is who you really are without Christ. This is what you are without Christ. You were darkness. But now that you know Christ, you are light. No, don't walk in the light. You are light in the Lord. So walk for what you are. Be what you are. Walk as children of light. Verse, verse 2 said, walk in God's kind of love. Verse 8 says, walk in his light. Walk in light. For the fruit of the light results in goodness, righteousness, and truth. Discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Children are special gifts from God, and we love them. They make our rooms light up, our faces light up, our homes light up, and when they come as grandchildren, you don't want them to go home. Well, you do want them to go home, but not too quickly. We warn children about dangers because we look at their innocent faces and we wish we could freeze that moment for a lifetime. They don't yet know. It's like Adam and Eve. They didn't know what they didn't know. And that's why they were so joyous to be with God. They didn't know there was anything else, and they thought they were being cheated. Well, I wish they'd left it alone, don't you? You can't unknow, and you can't unsee, and you can't unexperience what you know and have experienced and see. The same is true with children of God. He loves us, and he wants the very best for us. He loves us enough to put fences around us and we'll say, don't, don't do that. Don't, don't go there. Don't, don't be part of that. Don't, please don't do that. But we push aside the blockades and say, well, I, I'm smarter than it. By the way, how do I know I'm not against it if I don't try it? How foolish. How foolish are children. The Bible says, be imitators of God. Walk in love and walk in the light. But like children do, children of God do. Many times we're influenced by things of the world and people of the world that we think are prestigious or fascinating or their lives look so desirable. And, and though a good parent's ever punishing children, children will do it again. And children of God don't just mess up once, do we? No. No. And over and over, our parents told us as children what not to do, but we said, but, 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 and God says, don't do, but, 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 and we wind up over there in the ditch and then want to blame God. Why did you let this happen to me? Children. Parents always want to discipline them to try to keep them from wrong, but that doesn't mean we always stay away from wrong, does it? It says in chapter 5, verse 1, be imitators of God. But in verse 3, he says there's a problem. 
He says, don't let sexual immorality or impurity or lust, don't let that be heard as happening among you. Ephesus, like our modern culture, was steeped in sex, as was the Roman Empire. I was amazed when we went to Pompeii some years ago, and we saw in other cities as well, but I remember the one in Pompeii. In Pompeii, they, it, it, they had a certain Im- image to show visitors how to get to the brothel. I didn't know what that meant, but they showed us a small foot, single foot, and whichever way it was pointed, if it was carved into the stone, a single foot, that was the marker, prostitutes this direction. And so you'd see certain stones at intersections that have a single small carved foot print, and it was pointing visitors, keep turning here, and you'll wind up at the brothel, turn here, and, and it pointed them to the nearest place for sexual gratification. It was Demosthenes, the great orator of Rome, who said, we have mistresses for sake of our pleasure. We have concubines for the sake of daily cohabitation. We have wives for the purpose of having children legitimately. And that way we have a faithful caretaker for our household affairs. In Ephesus, the temple of Artemis was well known, and there were priestesses there. And the way you demonstrate your love for the goddess of fertility is go in and have sex with the fertile prostitute to demonstrate, I really believe in this goddess. Boy, America has a god, don't we? Because so much, who would have ever thought we'd be at a point where sex trumps everything, including religious freedom? We had a presidential candidate this past week said, if I'm elected, I'll make sure churches lose their tax-exempt status if they don't vote for gay marriage. Let's elect him. What a champion. Would you ever believe you'd live so debauched in such a debauched society that you could take a precious child and change their gender before they're old enough how to spell it and say that's the will of God because that's my will. God made a mistake. My little boy really should be a little girl. We're going to fix you. In case you think this text is not necessary, stay with me a minute. See, sometimes when we deal with Christian Christianity, we deal with having to come against cultural abnormalities on the mission field and we've run into this our people have and when you go to missions conference you have people talk about the ethics of Christianity in a culture not steeped in Christian ethics for instance in many parts of the world where men have multiple wives and the man decides he wants to be a Christian and he's got four wives and the Bible says for this reason leave father man cleave to one he's got four now he's a Christian what do you tell him to do what about the man who comes to know Christ and is, does business with a kingpin of a drug, drug cartel? But he truly has left, he, he's, he's willing to leave uh, what he has been to be a Christian, but knows if I, if I leave this and let it be known I'm leaving this, they're going to shoot me fearful, I'll go state's evidence and they'll die so they just eliminate me. What do you tell him to do? God puts a fence around us, and in these words, he makes it very clear. Look look with me, beginning in verse 3. I'm going to just give you quick definitions, not that you need them, but the the word sexual immorality is the word pornea. Anybody hear a word in there? It sounds familiar. The word pornea is a broad umbrella for any kind of sexual misconduct. It can deal with anything from premarital sex and incest to homosexuality, bestiality, and sexual gratification in any other area other than marriage. Pornea, it means the broad range. And I dare say today we've got that in our own country. Impurity, this one's gross. 
sexual pornea means anything sexually deviant, but uh, this word impurity means it's really the picture of a sore that just won't get well, it just oozes infection. And people are afraid to be around you for fear if you touch that, you can get infected. If you were to touch that wound and rub your eyes, you yourself would catch the germs that's causing that person to have that gross infection. When a person is grossly immoral and you're around them, they begin to rub off on you and you begin to compromise what you see is wrong. Well, it can't. I know it's wrong, but he's such a nice man. She's such a nice lady. And the more that oozes, then the easier it is for somebody to say, well, I don't think it's so bad. You know, in America, our favorite expression is, I don't, is that wrong? What, what, what's so bad about that? That's oozing infection that's corrupted. And then it says the word greed. It means lust. See, God, God here, here's what we don't understand. God likes sex. How do I know? He made it. For this reason, it said he made male and female. God made male and female. Why? He understood what it was for. And inside marriage, it's a wonderful bond of two people. But here's what happens when we separate and divide our lives into corridors. We forget the oneness. You see, the truth is when you really know and love somebody, then you're drawn to them not only spiritually and psychologically and emotionally, but you demonstrate that through union of physical bodies. God, God ordained that. And you cannot divide. When you say, I only want sex, and a man says to a woman after he's had an affair, he says, well, that meant nothing to me. She's going off in 19 directions. Why? Because for her, that moment, most women, that moment is given everything from my mind and heart and will and emotions and life and energies and everything that was consummated in a physical act. But when man or woman says, it means nothing to me. You're telling me that never affected your psyche when you had this relationship with somebody other than your husband or wife. It didn't affect your emotions when you had multiple partners and now it's hard to love your wife or husband because of all of these. The Bible says for this purpose the two shall become one and it means in every way. The only way you can really be one with another person is when everything in you desires to be a part of everything in them and vice versa. And so the more you are like them in your desires and ambitions and family and goals and finances and church life and relationships and social life and, and, and dreams and visions and psych, psych, psychological bonds and, and all those things, then when you come together physically, it is a culmination and a demonstration of how deeply our love is in all these areas. But when you say, it was just physical, that means nothing to me. If you take that which is most precious and intimate and treat it as common, then it causes your mate to wonder, so none of these things, including our children and our relationship, has a significant meaning to you. Oh, my. So, so the Bible says greed is when that lust for just people. I, I don't really care who she is. Just, I, just need, I, just, I, just need, I just need to be relieved. Oh, my. I don't care who he is. I, I'm just tired of being imprisoned at home. Uh, oh, my. It says those things ought not even be heard happening among you. Realize how hard that is to say at Ephesus. They grew up around sex. Artemis Temple is on Main Street. 
Everybody has sex. In fact, the way you show your greatest devotion to the key goddess of the community is a sexual act. And, and now the Christianity, Christianity comes along and Paul says, don't, don't, don't have sex with anybody but your mate. They say, well, ho, ho, ho. That's like America, which calls you backward and archaic party killers, not happy people. You just live in this Victorian belief that sex is evil. No, 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 it's good. God's God made it, and when you fulfill it in a God-forgiven, God-intended way, it's wonderful. Feeding these sins has become very profitable in America. People read about sex and feed on sex and watch movies about sex and think about sex and long to do things they find in print or porn or media. And by doing so, they've already violated the law of God. Do you ever wonder why Jesus elevated sexual immorality to thinking? He knew this day because he's living one in Rome. The more you think about something, the before long, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. The more you think about something and feed on it and plan about it, digest it and consider it, and you're looking around for opportunities, you've already sold out. That's why the Bible says if there's anything pure, anything lovely, anything good, dwell on those things. Why? Because as you process that computer, that computer begins to affect actions. The Bible says here, don't, don't, don't let that be heard among you. Paul would write to the church at Rome, I want you to be wise in what's good and innocent. I want you to be good, wise in what's good and innocent, that which is evil. He said, I want you to do what is suitable. Isn't that good? Look, 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 look at Ephesians 5. It says, I, I want, verse 3, I want you, it shouldn't be heard of among you these things, coarse and foolish gesture, crude joking, but do what's suitable and, and, and give thanks. Suitable means our goal is to lead the immoral to the master. But the world says we want to lead the innocent into immorality. Why, 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 why do we hear so much of today of, forgive me, national education organizations want to teach children about sex of every kind, sexual behavior of every kind, because we want to corrupt early, and that way there's less resistance later. The world seeks to lead the innocent into immorality, but Christ wants to change the immoral to the immortality who have eternal life. The Bible says filthiness needs to go. That's disgraceful because it's that which is in conversation. Filthiness is that which is a person opens their mouth and you may think, oh my soul, you look so nice on the outside, but wow, where did that come from? And then the word that says silly talk, you're going to love this one. In Greek, I told you, in Greek, they stack words up to get the word they want. They just create them and stack them up. That's good. And this is called mor morologia. Moral, we get our word moron. <laughs> Y'all need a definition. Logia means speaking. Don't talk like a moron. What does a moron talk about? Stupid things. It said to get rid of filthiness and get rid of stupid talking and then coarse jesting. This is the person in a room that no matter what's said, they can immediately, were quick-witted, they turn it to a sexual innuendo. That's not you, is it? Likely you know somebody in your office or your social group that I don't care what you're talking about. In two seconds, they can take the most, most 
unintentionally sexual statement and give it a sexual meaning. The Bible says that's coarse, crude, like an animal. The Bible says instead of doing that, do what's suitable. And then it said do this, live with thanksgiving. Did you see that? It says no coarse or foolish talking, but rather be suitable and give thanks. What's the difference between a person that's lusty and a person that's thankful? A lusty person says, I'm just not satisfied. I'm telling you, i got to have more. I, I, I just, I, I want drugs and I want drinking and I want women and I want, I want, I want. And they're never, they're never satisfied. What's a thankful person? God, you've been far better to me than I ever deserve. I have a wonderful wife, wonderful children, grandchildren. I'm blessed, healthy. Have an income that I can provide for my family. My wife seeks to make our home a retreat to go to. My children bring delight to my life. Why are you so good to me? Is there a difference between lust and love? Is there a difference between godliness and greed? Yeah. So the Bible says here, don't, don't live on the level of an animal. It says sexual immorality, verse 3, impurity, greed should not be heard among you. No, no coarse or foolish talking or crude joking. They're unsuitable for no and recognize this. Every sexually immoral or impure, greedy person, lusty person who is an idolater. So, so, so what happens when, when, when I live on the level of lust? I, I have something I want more than a devotion to God. I want this world's pleasure. Hmm. Did you ever see yourself as an idolater when it comes to living for God? Now, now be careful. Some of you say, well, I'm not tempted with sex. I he said, whatever you desire more than obedience to God becomes your idol. Whatever you're after more than complete submission to God, now you are an idolater. Today he's talking about sexual things, but he says whatever you want more than a devotion and a sellout to God, a complete walk with God, whatever you want more than that, that's your idol. Why? Wow, that, that's where my money goes. Boy, that's, when I'm off work, that's what I go to. And, and when I have a free day, that's what I want to do. That, that, that's where we spend our time. Bible says, what does it say about idolatry? I, I'm just the pizza delivery boy. It, it says every sexually moral and pure greedy person who's an idolater doesn't have any inheritance in the kingdom or the Messiah of God. Why did Paul come down so hard on sexual immorality? Because it's where two or more gathered of the opposite gender, and today I guess even of the same gender in some cases, sex can become an issue. It may surprise you to know that 10 of the 13 letters, 10 of the 13 letters written by Paul, have sections about don't be sexually immoral. 10 of 13. Must have been a problem in Rome. I reckon it still is in this modern empire. The Bible says what you need to watch is that Satan is subtle. His attacks are very severe. When Satan attacks you, he can discourage you. See, if you're struggling with a sin and you keep having issues with that sin and you're doing all you can to fight it, but you have those times when you feel like, I just, I just, I just don't feel like I'm gaining ground, Satan says, gotcha. He, he, he tries to discourage you. He never shows you your successes. He always shows you your defeats. That's what he delights in doing, keeping you beat up. Secondly, when Satan attacks you, his rumors create great pain. Truth is, when Satan just begins to whisper in your ear what a sorry dog you are, before long you're listening to the wrong voice. Sometimes Satan has the ability to accuse you of your poor performance as a Christian. 
And then you begin to say, I don't know why I even try. Please don't go there. Satan is a liar. I want you to look with me at a passage because I think if you can see this, this will help you as a grandparent and a parent to help your young people. Psalm 119, you won't have any trouble finding it. Just flip to Psalms. It's the longest one. It's the longest one in the book of Psalms. If you don't know this one, mark it and keep it because you've got children and grandchildren and maybe some of you in this room that need this. But you certainly have young people coming behind you that have not read this and it's our job to help teach them. Psalm 119, I want you to see this so you can give it to you, the young people in your life. Psalm 119, beginning in verse 9, right out of the Psalms, right in the heart of the book. Psalm 119.9, look with me. Psalm 119.9, how can a young man keep his way pure? That's a good question. In an age wrought up with sexual immorality on every side, how can a young man keep his way pure? Psalm 119.9, by keeping your word. Verse 10, I've sought you with all my heart. How do you keep your way pure? Where is your heart? Well, I spend an awful lot of time on the internet. Well, is that where your heart should be? He says, I've sought you with all my heart. Don't let me wander. You hear the prayer in, this, hear the, prayer in the psalmist request to God, don't, don't, don't let me wander from your commands. How's a young man keep his way pure? Verse 11, I've treasured your word. Yes, have you asked young people how, how much time they spend how much time they spend in the Word of God, but, but do they pattern after you? The Bible says, I've treasured your word in my heart for a reason. I don't want to sin against God. Verse 12, Lord, may you be praised. Teach me your statutes. And verse 13, with my lips I proclaim all the judgments. The, the wise sayings is what that means. I proclaim all the wise sayings from your mouth. With my lips, I proclaim the judgments. Verse 14, I rejoice in the way revealed by your decrees. I rejoice in that as much as having all riches. Verse 15, I'm going to meditate on your precepts and think about your ways. God, I'm going to delight in your laws, your statutes, your principles. I will not forget your word. When you hear about love and lust, you often think, well, love means two people who just have this platonic relationship, and lust is people who don't. No, 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 no. True love is people who are deeply in love with each other at every level, including physically. Uh, lust is when you have no use for any level except physical. And anytime I mention the word love in this generation, you have to be careful. If I showed you a slide with two people today standing, two young couples standing with their hands together, and I said, this is a video about love. If it were not in church, you'd begin to think, this is probably going to get a little gritty here in a minute because that's the way we see media. I want to show you an act of love, and it's not about sex, so don't expect that. It's not even about marriage. But when you really walk in the love of God, you see people not as objects, but as persons that need the mercies of the Almighty. I want you to watch this brief video, and you tell me if this isn't a picture of God's kind of love. Let's watch this. Our Steve Hartman has been watching a genuine sweetie pie at work. What you want? No matter what you order from school cafeteria worker Deborah Davis. I have a Caesar salad. I have chicken patties. Chicken and rice. Every meal comes with a sweetie pie. All right, sweetie pie. You're welcome. Auntie Deborah, as she's known here at Hoover High School, 
doles out a heaping helping of hospitality every lunch hour. You're welcome, sweetie. And this is just her first course of kindness. See y'all tomorrow. After serving food all day, I come out here. After lunch, Deborah drives her beat-up 76 Chevy Malibu all over San Diego, looking for hungry homeless people. Hey, babe. How are you? Looks like she's okay. No, she's not. Deborah says she's never met a homeless person who wasn't starving for her home cooking. Come on, tell them over there to come on and eat. On this day, she served more than 50 multi-course meals. You got pork, curry chicken and rice, collard greens and smoked turkey. All at her own expense. Uh, barbecue ribs, yeah. Are you broke? No. I took that as a yes. You're spending money you don't have. Yes, but... But you don't understand the joy that I get from feeding people. Tomorrow's spaghetti and meatballs, okay? Because Deborah is so selfless. Thank you for joining us. Recently, the school district invited her down to the auto shop, surprised her with friends and family, and some better wheels to deliver those meals. This 2014 Mazda 3 was refurbished by an auto body class in the district. But to Deborah, it was like mint. I'm not used to a new car, y'all. She was so flabbergasted. What do I do? She didn't even know where to start. Literally. Oh, okay. <laughs> what does it mean to you that faculty, the staff, the kids all wanted you to have this gift? <laughs> that I'm making a difference in their life, you know? I'm looking for my reward in heaven, and y'all gave me a little bit here on earth. Heaven on earth. For a woman who has always had room in her heart. Yeah. Just now. Look at that. More truck space. Three aluminum pans this size. And I got tinted windows. Did you hear her say, I always thought I'd get my reward in heaven, but you've given me a taste of that here today. There's a love that we have, I, f I fear we, not we, but the world has forgotten. It is the love of God. It is rich and pure and free to all who come under it. And all who come under it want to go out and give it away to somebody else. I don't know if you noticed because I know a video moves quickly. But the word Jesus was on our car seat. Now obviously a national news isn't going to say she's a Jesus person. But what kind of love draws a, rouse a woman to leave giving food to kids all day long? It cooks kids food at her own expense. It goes find somebody's hungry and says, here. It's the love of Jesus. First Corinthians 9, I want to close, and I've got to close because the time is here. Excuse me, First Corinthians 6, I want you to look with me because here's what, here, here's what I want us to remember as children of God. Our world does not really believe in God. You know that. And our world, therefore, does not really believe there's such a place as eternal destruction. Young people have been reared to believe we're just evoluted, evolved beings for here for a little while. And when we die, we go back into the process and we just come back over and over again as energy sources or dust or petunias. But that's not what God offered. What God offered is life eternal with our Father. But he also said it's not for everybody. In a little while, I'm going to go home. You're not invited. I don't mean to be ugly, but first of all, all y'all came to our house, only a handful of you could come in anyway. 
Home is for my family. Home is where my wife is, and if they can come, my children will come, grandchildren will come. We don't have a home that accommodates everybody. My father has a house, but it's not for everybody. Whosoever believes in Jesus is not condemned, but he who does not believe is an outcast already because he didn't believe in the name of the only begotten Son of God. I want to share with you the rest of the story found in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Look with me, beginning verse 9. Again, a letter from Paul the Apostle, church in Corinth. 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Don't you know? Don't you know the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Don't be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, anyone practicing homosexuality, no thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. Some of you used to be like this, but you were washed and you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of our God. Everything's permissible, but everything's not helpful. Everything's permissible for me, but I will not be brought under the control of anything. Food for the stomach, stomach for food, but God will do away with both of them. The body is not for sexual immorality. The body's for the Lord and the Lord for the body. God raised up, ra- raised up the Lord, and he will raise us up by his power. Don't you know your bodies are part of Christ's body? So should I take part of Christ's body and make it part of a prostitute? Absolutely not. Don't you know that anyone joined to a prostitute is one body with her? Scripture says the two will become one. Anyone joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. So run. You need a Greek word for that? Run. Run from sexual immorality. Every sin a person can commit is outside the body. On the contrary, the person who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. Don't you know your body is a sanctuary, a temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you, whom you have from God, you're not your own. For you were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. There are two destinations, just as there are two roads, a wide one and a narrow one, two gates, a broad one and a straight one. There are two kinds of trees, a good tree and a bad tree, two kinds of fruit, good fruit and bad fruit. There are two kinds of houses, one built on a rock and one on sand. Bible makes it clear there are two options, heaven, heaven and hell. Bible says there are two choices to select and choose Jesus Christ to be Lord of life or honor King Satan and be forever destroyed and separated from God. I fear we have forgotten that good friend of yours at work who just happens to be sexually crass is not funny. He's in real trouble. That person you know who's got more women in his book than he's got good words out of his vocabulary is not just a person who likes the good life. He's in real trouble. The person who says, I'll do what I want to with my sex is none of your business. and It's not mine. No, you're right. It's not mine. But it is God's. And every person will stand before God and give an account. In this generation where so much the world is the one talking about sex and the church seems to be mortified to talk about it without fear of looking archaic. Today I didn't try to take us back a hundred years. I tried to move us back 2,000. I don't belong here. 
If you belong to Christ, you're not at home here either. We're just passing through. And the kingdom I'm headed to has none of the above of what we've read about. But the kingdom we're going to has a body that's incorruptible and undefiled and will never, ever, ever fade away. I want to close with the words of Paul that I started with and we're going to pray. Don't let anybody deceive you, Paul said in Ephesians 5, 6. Don't let anybody deceive you with empty arguments. God's wrath is coming. I wish you'd underline that. Don't let anybody deceive you with these empty arguments. God's wrath is coming. It's coming on the disobedient because of these things that are so prevalent. Don't be their partners. You were once darkness, not anymore. You are now light of the Lord. So walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light results in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Please, please spend your time discerning what is pleasing in the Lord. Would you pray with me? I must confess this message is not the most popular to be preached in the 21st century, but it surely is needed. And there are many who, as you hear it, feel a little uncomfortable because many in this generation said, Pastor, we didn't talk that openly about sex. Well, nor was I reared to do so, but this generation has lost all filters. And really what I've read about that was going on in Rome I think we would shock Rome with what we do today in America and the Western culture. Uh, Today I want to plead for us to reject that which is impure and pursue that which is pure. Today some of you say, well, Brother Nick, I I really do struggle. I I really do struggle with sexuality. Well, evidently we all do because that's why it's in there 10 times in 13 letters. It's the nature of mankind. But struggling with it and living a life of debauchery is two different things. When you're fighting against communism, you're not a communist, you're doing your best to defeat it. When you fight against radical Islam, you're not trying to be converted, you're trying to defeat it. When you're fighting against sexual immorality, you're not saying, I I just keep wanting to join it. You're saying, I'm doing everything I can to resist it. Then keep resisting. Stand in the power of the Almighty. Be suited up in the whole armor of God. Take your stand in the light. But the reason this text is so painful is you have children, don't you? Some of your grandchildren, and they're being snared by the world. Not, Not just into pornography or sexual misconduct, but some in gender confusion because the world's... The world's confused. Some of you in this room say, it's killing me, Brother Nick. It's killing me. I I can only preach to you what God said, but comfort has to come from the Lord. Strength comes from the Lord. Conquest comes from the Lord. The filling of His Spirit comes from the very presence of the Lord. The Word of God came from the Lord. The path of righteousness leads to the Lord. The encouragement of saints is God's gift from the Lord. Today I beg you, run to Him. Some of you are struggling. Turn to Him anew and afresh and say, Dear God, give me victory, please. Give me victory and help me walk as as an overcomer. For those who have done those things that disappoint you. 
and disappointed you're made if he or she knows. Beg God to forgive and help your marriage to be strengthened so that it doesn't happen again. For that way we're teenager, beg God. Beg God to make their friends that are leading them astray, make their friends to be strangers so that the young person is no longer drawn to them. Cause, pray that God will cause alienation between that young person and their godless friend so that there's a rift between them and they draw once again to the Lord. Some of you in this room today likely don't know Jesus. You don't need a sermon, you need the Savior. In a moment, we'll have pastors here in this altar, and I'd ask you this morning, when we stand to sing, you just make your way to the front. In fact, pastors, if you're in the room, come on down now, right here and be in the altar. So that those who are looking to see, is, is there somebody there I could talk to? They'll see you here in the altar. I pray today, if you say, I need to talk to a pastor, I don't know Jesus. And you say, I, I wouldn't know what to say, Brother Nick. If I went down there and took him by the hand, I don't know what to say. Here's what you say, I need Jesus. Is that hard? I need Jesus. If that's you, just step out from where you are in a moment. When we stand, just step out from where you are. Make your way down the aisle. Put your hand in the hand of a pastor and say, I need Jesus. Maybe today's a day of intercession where God's people pray for those that are broken in your life circle. Family or friends, neighbors, jogging people, gym acquaintances. Have you prayed for them today? Be a good time right now, wouldn't it? Maybe you want to get up from where you are and just come fill this altar with praying for people that are ensnared by the world. I'm not here to be a cheerleader and tell you what to do. I'm here to tell you the gates are open. God's in the house. When you walk on difficult gravel, you need to be able to come to the one who'll give you peace. He's in the room. His name's Jesus. Would you stand with me? We're going to turn to him. You need to come to him today. You do so. Father, your word is ever true. Hard to believe reading this text. Paul wrote this 2,000 years ago. Evidently, we haven't changed much as cultures. When we turn away from God, we become like animals. We live on the level of an animal. Forgive us. We were created better in the image of God. But sin marred that image, and we need to come back to the creator and beg mercy and say, would you recreate us, redeem us, make us anew in the image of Jesus. Forgive us, cleanse us, fill us, walk with us. Lord God, today do a work in this place, even as you, as you draw us near. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing. You come. Won't you do it right now? Will you do it?